Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. We are here at the OC episode mm-hmm. of the OC. Yeah. Um, terrible pun, mind you. Um, so this is an episode that a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, have requested. But we're doing it solo because Timon's a bitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's the middle of Christmas season, not the easiest time for someone to rewatch and sit down and discuss an almost two decade old TV show episode. Uh, but here mm-hmm. we are and we're getting our prom episode. I was real rough yet last week. I was ready to, I was ready to throw in the proverbial towel. Yeah. And move on. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked this episode. I thought that this was <laughs> for, for the yeah. penultimate episode of the season. I thought this was pretty pretty good i liked most of the stories there was definitely things i didn't like there were there were things i did not like joe Mm -hmm. but for the most part i enjoyed myself what is what is your as like the oc super fan thought of the episode the oc oh this is a solid episode yeah and i'm i'm a little surprised that so many people wanted to do this one in particular I think maybe because of like how it ends. <laughs> is, it, uh, is it possible just based on what I hear about the third and fourth season that it's the last truly feel good, good episode of the OC? <laughs> uh, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> 
it seems like from what I hear, they they might start slipping <laughs> from yeah. this point on. So I was excited. We we kick back to find out. Thank God Kirsten's still alive. The OC's body count is still a solid zero. Hopefully it'll stay that way for the next <laughs> two and a half seasons or whatever we've got left. Um the concept in this so Kirsten's in the in the hospital. Seth mm-hmm. shows up and he says a throwaway line where I was like, I would watch a whole episode of just that, which is that he tells Kirsten and Sandy, due to the circumstances, he's lifting the um the embargo on his parents not being allowed to watch any of his DVDs and suggests Evil Dead 2. And I would watch a full 90 minute episode of the OC. That's just Kirsten and Sandy watching evil dead Two, dead by time. <laughs> I think it would be del- delightful. And we also find out for a show for a show, Joe, mm-hmm, Joe mm-hmm. for a show that is all about how the spoiled rich people of Newport have their, have control over all this different stuff and depicting the Coen's, as the one bastion of purity in Newport Beach, we see that the Coens are so beloved that the police are willing to bend what the drunk driving test results were yeah. to protect the Coens. And I don't know if I quite believe that. Especially because, let's be clear, if Sandy Cohen is a public defender. Mm-hmm. It also probably means that he regularly makes the police look bad. <laughs> but Sandy Cohen, you know, we love Daddy Cohen. We do. Who we do. Love Daddy I'm, just, Cohen? I'm just saying he's if, got friends in the DA's office. If you're, you know, if you're like my whole thing is I'm going to fight for the people like Ryan, like part of that involves making the police look bad. So the idea that the police are like, we just love Sandy Cohen so much. We're going to, we're going to bury this and no one will ever know that Kirsten was driving at a 2.0 alcohol level. Like, yeah, the nuance of the, (laughs) the, the nuance of the police politics of it all like what a good point, Matt. It's such a good point. <laughs> it's such a good point. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, like, well, that fails entirely. Yeah. In well, any because, other like, case, they'd yeah. be so excited to bring this dude down a notch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like this would be like the dream for the police to find is that this guy who regularly makes them look bad in court, like now they've got something on them. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, but like the kind of public defending that we are meant to believe that Sandy does is like, you know, people against systems, yes. but apparently not against policing. No, no, the policing. Look, Joe, and I Sandy's don't know. only defending white kids. That's true. So, That's know. true. That is very true. Listen, Joe, when a black person shows up at Newport Beach, I'm sure he'll take care of them, too. But until then, yeah, yeah he's he'll in the escort theory. them immediately out. Yeah. <laughs> We jump into the summer subplot where she doesn't really care for Seth or Zach at this point, but Mm -hmm. she's dreamed of going to prom. I love that she refers to them as nerd and ass boy. And I actually shockingly love the conceit of this entire subplot. This whole subplot delights me where Summer walks up to Zach and Seth and it's just like, here's the deal. 
I'm going to prom. One of you is taking me. I don't care which one. You two figure it out like grownups. I'll be waiting. This is the color of my dress. And like, it's up to them to figure it out as grown men. Mm-hmm. And then you add the read aspect of reads like, hey, well, there is, I don't love everything as you got yeah. a text message <laughs> letting you know. They, yeah, I was like, you're you're waxing a little too uh a little too poetic about something that you were very angry. So something about did happen where I yelled fuck you at my TV. And that's when they meet with Reed and Reed tells them George Lucas wants to make an Atomic County movie. To which I wrote the following note. No. 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 I am rejecting this. I refuse. George Lucas wants to make a movie about some dumb high schooler's comic book. Fuck you, the OC. Seriously, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, I... And and I do like the George Lucas aspect of this. But mm-hmm. I have been bending and twisting suspension of disbelief for the entirety of this Atomic County Thing. And like you've brought up like, hey, it's about nepotism. It's about privilege. It's like, yes, there are a lot of those things. We are now talking about a what would be a million to billion dollar film production mm-hmm. based on a comic book that doesn't even have a first issue released yet written by two high schoolers that from all accounts is the most bland generic comic book like in the fucking world you i know no if you told me that there was like a small independent production company that was interested maybe no. george fucking lucas a dude who's yeah. literally made two movies that weren't star wars movies in his entire career is like this is the one this is the one i've given up on star wars i'm about ready to sell it to disney but you know what this is the one i'm gonna come out of retirement to work on no joe absolutely fucking not like i'm not accepting this one bit matt (laughs) you tell me it's Zack snyder i'll say absolutely sure george lucas there's no way I was gonna say Matt, you ignorant slut, but no, it's actually quite um you're you're quite the opposite of both of <laughs> Yes, I'm neither um, a slut nor ignorant. I appreciate yes. that. Um here's the thing, Matt. Like George Lucas, first of all, it's a get for the time. Oh, a right? huge we're, get. We're we're living in a post uh episode one. <laughs> yeah. Let, um, I mean, let me situation. stress Seth, the scene where Seth is actually meeting with George Lucas is super fucking charming. Is it basically just ripping off Mallrats when they meet Stan Lee? Of course it is. But it is a very charm. Like, I like the charming scene there. But I love it. It's a great scene in Mallrats. It's a great scene here. Not going to shit on that. But yes, this is a huge get. This is, I want to say this is just before Revenge of the Sith comes out. Or maybe slightly after. Maybe the prequels have all finished. Because this is... No, this is 2003, right? 2005. So... This is 2005 and Phantom Menace was 99. 2005. Okay, so... I'm pretty sure Phantom Menace was 99. And then Attack of the Clones, I want to say, was 2001. And Revenge of the Sith may have been 
2003 because I think it was when I was in high school and this would have been airing after high school for me. Yeah, it would have been 2005. <laughs> so Wait, hold on, when in 2005? Um, I mean, this could have been literally to promote Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it came out wide release in May 19th, 2005. Yeah, so there we go. So, so yeah, it was most likely done as a way to promote. Yeah. Yeah, because you know who really needed the promotion in the summer of 2005 was this little little herd film called Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. They needed all the help they could get, Joe. I'm glad I'm glad the OC graciously gave up some some time on their show to help them out with that. Um but yeah, I mean I think that that's adorable. I think that the the Seth showing up mm-hmm. and like you know, like Zach taking Summer to prom and Seth going to the George Lucas meeting, but then them both realizing like, hey, man, you want the girl and I really do want this comic book thing to work out. And then yeah. like kind of switching spots. I So maybe I misunderstood this. Did Zach become prom king strictly because he was the prom queen's date? Is that how that was set up? Well, I mean admittedly zach does have a lot going for him right that is so. true i just they were like and and of course zach come like i don't think they announced who the prom king was it was just like and the prom queen is summer so zach where are you at and i'm like i don't think that's where i don't think that's how prom king and queen work i think they're both elected positions <laughs> like, i mean you know the the <laughs> the electoral nuance of prom king and queen notwithstanding <laughs> Um, it just makes, you know, it just makes like American television, American media sense that yeah. they come together. Right. Exactly. So, but it is, I, I it's, it, so here's my only question though, Joe, mm-hmm. I, I like this. I like how we've gotten to Seth and summer that this is the, that this is like kind of sealing their fate as a couple. Uh, the Zach challenges no longer face them. And, is it safe for me to assume that this is them? Is this a series wrap on Zach? But more importantly, is this a series wrap on me ever having to hear the words Atomic County again? Oh, God. <laughs> I can't promise that. I don't know <laughs> about the comic book. I can't promise. The Zach stuff is most likely correct. So there's two potential series series yeah. write-offs this episode <laughs> then we'll get to the second one soon um i didn't write a ton about the marissa ryan subplot uh my two big things with that were like and you know i'm glad that we're recording this right after i listened to last week's episode because i do want to repeat that like when something happens to you i will never blame the victim for not wanting to talk about Mm-hmm. The situation. Yeah, for sure. That being said, Marissa's not helping this situation by getting mad when Ryan draws the only conclusion he can possibly draw, which is that he went away and now neither his brother nor his girlfriend can look at him or talk to him or tell him yeah. anything that happened and being like yeah. something must have happened between the two of them and assuming that maybe there was some cheating involved. Like, yeah, like it's, it's not a great decision. You know what I mean? Like it's not a Mm -hmm. good look, but Mm -hmm. it's like, you have to, at that point, you can't get immediately mad that you guys have given him literal cold shoulder silence and that he's jumping to a conclusion. Yeah. Like now what I do love 
here's here's we're gonna go with the reverse of a compliment sandwich. My my complaint, Marissa's not helping the situation. Something I love is Ryan bumping into Teresa and Teresa being the voice of reason of like if if she's telling you nothing happened and Trey's telling you something did, Trey has lied to you your entire life and Marissa has never been dishonest with you. Like you need yeah. to trust Marissa. Like her being the voice of reason, love that. Hate the fact that there's still this Ryan Atwood baby out in the world that Ryan doesn't know about. <laughs> so I guess I have yeah. to ask again, is this a serious rap on Teresa no, and Ryan? Absolutely baby? not. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that I will never get a full conclusion to this storyline in the next two seasons. But who knows? We'll see. Maybe that's all season three is Ryan the the Papa. Um, Ryan dealing with the Atwood baby. Yeah, dear Lord. I feel like that is, there's something, and we'll see when we get to the end of the full show, but in my heart mm -hmm. of hearts, I really think that that storyline was something that they created thinking like, we're going to be on television for years. Like this will pay off in, in the long run. And then everything started to go poorly. Yeah, we're doing season 10. Yeah, and you know, and then they're like, ah, forget it. Right. Ryan just has a baby out there that he'll never know. Exists. Yeah. Um, but hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. But that's the vibe I'm getting. But uh, any feedback on the Ryan, Teresa, Marissa, Trey elements here? No, I love the Teresa stuff. I thought it was like I completely forgot that she showed up. <laughs> I So I think you've already told either you told me this or someone else told me this. We know that Marissa, I know that Marissa dies next season at the end of next season. Yeah. And I think both you and someone else have told me that they kind of just like add a new girl to the mix for Ryan yeah. to date. And it seems like this where I think you've said this to me before. I don't understand why you don't bring Teresa back in the in the yeah. loss of marissa because every scene that they have together they do have chemistry like in it and she oh, yeah she's so comforting and understanding and loving like it seems like the easiest solution is you kill marissa in season four you bring back Teresa, or you kill marissa in season three you bring Teresa in season four ryan finds out he has a kid there's some drama about her keeping that from him for a few episodes but then, mm -hmm. like, last episode, they kiss, they maybe even get married, and then, like, Ryan goes back to Chino, but he goes back to Chino as a responsible adult raising a family from sure. all of the lessons he learned living with the Coens in Newport Beach. Seems like such a beautiful way to tie a bow on the whole story, and uh, from what I understand, they did not do that at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. You need to go back in time and... <laughs> And shake the creators of this show and be like, hey, this is how you do it. Yeah, this don't is how you fix this problem yeah. that you have. Um, you also should go back in time and shake them and say, don't kill Marissa. But I'll know, also go back in time and say 70, 27 episode seasons is chaos. What are you doing? <laughs> like, do do shorter seasons. Um, all right. So then the last thing we need to talk about is what's happening in the world of the parents, what everybody's tuning in for. Um, so Sandy is trying to deal with Kirsten. He's trying to curb her alcoholism, um, mm -hmm. which we'll get into. I've got a lot of thoughts next week about that. That's a, that's a, yeah. there's a lot to unpack there, but listening to Kirsten unleash on Caleb was so cathartic. 
when he shows up and he starts talking to her about being irresponsible and she lets him have it. And I remember as soon as that happened, I said, Oh, homeboy's dying today. This is the end of Caleb. That's that. And this is going to be regrets. Yeah. (laughs) They were going to build a whole regretful sub subplot. There is. uh, So, so that happens. Meanwhile, Julie Cooper's like, Caleb's going to divorce me. If I last a year with him, I get this much amount of money. If we don't last a year, I get nothing. And he's pushing mm-hmm. for this divorce 11 months and 28 days into our marriage. Like, mm-hmm. I what can I do? And she considers killing him. Um, strongly considers yeah. killing him. But then as they're having a conversation by the pool, she realizes that she can't do it. She can't go through with it. She takes mm-hmm. the drink from Caleb. She dumps it into the sink to make him a new drink that's not tainted. And the way that they're going to kill Caleb is that this guy has a heart attack sitting by the pool. And like, look, I've never had a heart attack. I don't know. But yeah. he seems <laughs> he seems to be aware enough of what's happening to try to call for help. Yeah. Get out of the pool. You're not even in the pool. Lean back. Do anything. But what he does instead is stands up <laughs> and leans forward. So he had a heart attack and drowned. It was a double death for Caleb. Um absolutely un like I was laughing so hard, Joe. I was like, this is the most ridiculous way they could have possibly killed this old man. It's like a double death. And Mm -hmm. spoiler for song of the episode, because there's not that many songs in this episode. But Fix You by Coldplay is, in my opinion, the best song by Coldplay. I think it is a legitimately great song. And it was so beautifully used for this slow dance with Seth mm-hmm. and Summer, and then all of that goodwill is fucking tainted when it's suddenly still being used as Julie Cooper's pulling Caleb out of the pool and trying to revive him. And I was just like, "Oh, yeah. what a waste! What a what a waste of a great song." Um, truly, well, <laughs> R.I.P. Caleb. I guess uh, is this a series wrap? On Caleb, or does he show up as some type of Jedi ghost in the next couple episodes? No, this is a series wrap on Caleb. <laughs> I think it's because he's going to make um, Ugly Betty. Ah, uh, yeah, that'll do it. After this. So I think, like, I think Ugly Betty comes out. Yeah, I think Ugly Betty comes out after this. So he's going to go do Ugly Betty, which, uh, spoiler alert, like, something similar also happens in Ugly Betty. <laughs> Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network.
What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie... Let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right. Well, Joe, I I spoiled this a little bit. There was only two songs in this episode. Dirty Lives by Love is Laughter plays when Zach and Seth get a text from Reed to go meet her. And then, as I said, Coldplay Fix You plays at the end of this episode. I mean, that Dirty Live song sounded pretty cool, but it has to be Fix You as the song of the episode. Oh, it's Fix You, absolutely. And here's, so let me tell you a little bit about Fix You. Do you know the story of why, of how Fix You came to be? I don't know the story of how Fix You came to be, but I want you to tell me, and then I will tell you why this is my favorite Coldplay song, because it involves okay. two tragic stories of performing okay, the song awesome. Fix You. So when... um. When uh, when Chris Martin, who's a lead man at Coldplay, uh, w- he met uh, and started dating Gwyneth Paltrow uh, around the time that Gwyneth Paltrow's father, Bruce, had passed away. And Fix You, he wrote as um, it's one of like four, three or four songs that he wrote about Gwyneth specifically. But Fix You, he wrote specifically because he wanted to like be there for her um as she was still grieving like her father and you know Gwyneth Gwyneth's mother famously is Blythe Danner who is also like a you know uh, fantastic actress people know her from many things she's the mom on Meet the Parents okay. uh, she's married to uh, Robert De Niro there like there's a great story about like you know the first time that uh, Chris plays that song for Blythe Danner because it's like partially inspired by Bruce and they like made um, a lot of the like organy type music from like um, from a keyboard that belonged to her father that Aww. had not been played since before he passed. So it's like to me it's oddly fitting that this is the song when like the patriarch he, <laughs> I mean granted he was an asshole. But he's like, you know, a patriarch. Also, like, the I love Fix You because the first time that, like, 
this is like the second time that it has featured so prominently in a show and it's perfect when it's used because the second time was in the first season of the newsroom okay when um when in the newsroom they're covering um uh gabby giffords i think her name is they're covering gabby giffords is uh uh death uh, or a uh, shooting in Arizona and like they play the length of the song is like how long the scene is from the moment they find out that she was shot until the moment where um they're like making the decisions about whether or not like she's still alive gotcha and it's just so beautifully done if you've not seen it matt you should just watch that scene it's not a spoiler all right because you will love absolutely love how they how this song is used in that scene perfect um so have you ever heard of a music documentary called young at heart no first off you should watch it knowing you it will shatter you in the most beautiful of ways um, it was a documentary from 2007 about the Young at Heart Choir, which was a choir I believe was in Texas made up of entirely elderly folks from a retirement home singing mm-hmm. modern songs. But all of the modern songs had some focus on death. So it was like songs like they would do like I Want to Be Sedated. They would do like Sonic Youth songs throughout the documentary. They're preparing for their big yearly performance that they do. And it's talking about it's following the guy who's the music director and the brainchild of this and him talking about the struggles of doing this because you're constantly losing choir members to the natural process of death. And they call up a former member who left because he was having breathing issues and couldn't perform anymore and asked him if he'd be willing to do the solo for the for their show. And he he agrees to. And it's the song Fix You that he sings but he has one of those breathing machines attached to his nose that's like pumping air because he's not able to breathe all the air sure. in on him on his own. And it's so heartbreaking to listen to because literally the sound of the machine pulsating air into him almost plays into the tempo of their version of the song. Try your best, but you don't succeed. When you get what you want, but not what you need. When you feel so tired. It's a beautiful documentary. Now you also know, anybody who follows any of my podcasting stuff knows that about two years ago, my best friend Meg uh, passed away. And Meg and I did music all the time. And unfortunately, we were we were raising money for what at the time we thought was a great cause called Invisible Children, which we later found out was a giant like money laundering scheme, essentially. Yes. Um, but at the time, we were like, hey, this seems like a really terrible thing. Let's do our part. Um, so we booked a bunch of bands and then Meg and I played second to last. And it was all this rock music in this in this vet in literally a gymnasium. It was like a church gymnasium we were performing in. And then Meg and I go up there with our acoustic guitar and our ukulele. And I am forever upset that this was the only show we didn't get any recording of. I I would like meticulously record all of our performances. Um, We ended our set with Fix You. And it was the last set we ever played together. 
So it was the last song I ever played with Meg. And like, I just remember getting chills because there was an echo in the gym when we were singing. So like, as we're harmonizing on the chorus, like it's echoing, but also everybody that was at the show was like maybe 50 or 60 people all just sat crisscross applesauce in front of us and all sang with us. And it was just this like sound of like 60 voices all singing in harmony together, the chorus of this song. And I've never been able to really sit down and play it again. Cause it's just not the same after you've had an experience like that. So that was like really what sealed the deal for me was, was this early Coldplay is fucking great. Like, I feel like they're a band that a lot of people kind of take a shit on, but those first like two or three albums are flawless to me. Like they are, when you Mm -hmm. get songs like in my head and yellow and trouble and shiver and the scientist and everything is not lost. Like seriously, check out the first two Coldplay albums, but fix you specifically my favorite song. We got to cheer ourselves up, Joe. What is some pop culture that you've been getting super stoked about? And actually, I, I want to go first. I want to go first on okay, this. Okay. I watched the Adam Sandler movie, You Are So Not Invited to My Bar Mitzvah, on Netflix. Have you seen this? No, I've seen the trailers. I also love that it has like Adam Sandler's real family in it. It's So here's the thing about this movie. Adam Sandler is like fifth build in reality. Like, it really is focused on the girl drama, but it has so many good twists and turns. It's so sweet. And it's like, there are parts in this movie where Adam Sandler is, like, driving in the car with his daughter, and he'll do something, and you're kind of not sure if it was written in the script that way, or if it's just that natural father daughter chemistry where he's like, Oh, I'm going to fuck with her a little bit to make her laugh or to make her like have the reaction. I want to it's, it's really sweet. And like in this long, I feel like we are hopefully about to see more of this version of Adam Sandler. Like I think the last 10 years we've dealt, with like Jack and Jill and that's my boy and all of these like awful, awful Netflix movies. But I think after uncut gems and the positive reaction that uncut gems gave him, Mm -hmm. like the last two things he's done for Netflix have been really kind of sweet. Like this was just a sweet family PG PG 13 movie. He also did an animated film that came out recently called Leo. That's also very sweet. Like, like I'm like, I want, I'm, I'm for this. I'm for family comedy, Adam Sandler, where it doesn't like the problem was like stuff like grownups was trying to be a family movie while also trying to, to cat like capture the like Billy Madison water boy days of Adam Sandler. And it created yeah, yeah, this yeah. really uncomfortable blend of like this is aggressively sexual humor mixed into what's just supposed to be like a fun family vacation movie or whatever Mm -hmm. like i like seeing him take on these roles where he's not the goofy immature dad he's just like the stressed out dad and he gets to do a little bit more dramatic acting it's not nearly to that uncut gems level of dramatic acting but like oh this is like a the best comparison i can come up with is Wedding Singer. I think Wedding Singer is the greatest film that Adam Sandler has ever done because he's 
as much as he's doing the Adam Sandler shtick where he's screaming and yelling, it's probably mm-hmm. the the number one Adam Sandler movie where he is a like a truly believable romantic lead. Like yeah. his character of Robbie Hart is so kind and loving and like human, like genuinely human and not mm-hmm. like this trapped in like a 17 year old mentality type character. And I think he's finally like doing his 40 and 50 year old version of that, where it's like, he can do mm-hmm. the like, Oh, like Adam Sandler yell or whatever. But at the core, it's a, it's a good loving character. Um, so I'm just, I'm really, I'm really, 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 really interested to see uh, what comes next because I, you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. It's probably the best Adam Sandler produced project in ever. Honestly, like ever since happy Madison was created, this is the best happy Madison made film in 20 years of that company existing. So mm-hmm. um, highly recommend, highly recommend. It's a great watch. I will have to add it to you. I'll have to add it to my list because um, it is, it's something that I saw. I'm like, oh, this looks cute. You know, this will be a when I get to it kind of thing. So maybe it'll. It feels like it should. And maybe it is. It feels like it's based on a YA novel. It probably is, honestly. But it's very much got that, hey, we've adapted a YA novel into a PG-13 family film feeling. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Your turn. Um, I so over the Thanksgiving break, I watched just a lot of TV and I realized that I had not seen the second season of Bridgerton after the first season of Bridgerton. Ooh. So I rewatched the first season of Bridgerton mm-hmm. when then watched for the first time the second season and then proceeded to do um, what my uh, pop culture moment is uh, today. The uh, limited series uh, in the Bridgerton universe, Queen Charlotte. Yeah. So I have uh, not which, watched Queen Charlotte, but I've watched the first two seasons of Bridgerton. Um, it is, it is wonderful. Um, I think it's a very interesting, like it's saying some interesting things about mental health. Um, it plays with like literal history, right? Like Charlotte was literally the queen of England the racial aspect of it is addressed more like the, the interesting things about race are addressed a lot more um, because of the marriage between Charlotte and George. Um, I had to look it up because it's George. It's the, it's the King George that like lost the colonies. Oh, (laughs) so it's like, Oh, it's that, that's the, that's the correct King George. Um, So it's the King George who loses the colonies, but, um, and then it like plunged me into a little bit of like, uh, you know, I thought like the region, I know the Regency era, which is where Bridgerton is set, is like a very specific time period. But like the Regency was created because King George was incapacitated due to his, you know, quote unquote madness. Um, but they deal with the mental health aspects of it. And like, some of the minor characters in Bridgerton like are getting like are being put front and center on in Queen Charlotte in a way that like just adds doesn't take anything away but adds a depth to it and there is one like towards the end of the series and I'm not going to spoil it because I want you to watch it one of the like big figures like the main characters in Bridgerton 
whose younger version is on who is, you know, talked about Lady Danbury, she gets a twist. <laughs> Something happens with her and with another character. And like it kind of blows. Like, I was like, what? Why are we talking about this? here in Queen Charlotte when we need to be talking about this and how is this going to affect everything in the main series so like that like blew my mind I was just like oh what I was so taken aback by it um, and of course it's like it does everything that the Bridgerton uh, series does really well in terms of like you know a lot of court intrigue a lot of sexy horniness um you know, I, I, I just, I, I loved it. And I'm drinking tea and I, I don't know. This is the time of year where like most of what I consume is just like very British. <laughs> like that's the crown. It's Bridgerton. It's I'm going to rewatch my Harry Potter, uh, rewatch Harry Potter in a little bit. Great British month. baking show. British <laughs> baking show. <laughs> you know, just, it's all very British, but Queen Charlotte um by far because i i've forgotten that it came out like this year it came out in um in like may <laughs> we're i mean we're right at that point where people like you and i feel obligated to start building our like well what were the best 10 of these things of the year yep and you're realizing what shit came out in the beginning of the year that you thought came out two or three years ago now because yeah. time is so baffling because I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm trying to do, um, like, I want to do, like, a top five list of, like, queer moments in culture. But now it's turning into, like, a top 25 because there are just, like, so many, like, I wanted to do, like, TV, movies, and the and the like. But it's it's so, Joe, I, it's so much deeper than that. I am begging you. We, at the time that we're recording this, I, we just did the Geekscape Holiday live stream event. I will give you an hour next year <laughs> to do the top 10 queer moments of 2023. It can be with Joshua. It can be with literally any other queer co-host of any other Geekscape podcast that you want to grab. But like, I would love to produce that segment for 2024. I think that that would be so much fun. And I'm telling you this now so that throughout the year, keep track. you can keep track of, <laughs> of the moments and kind of got it and actually think about them from the way that, that your boys at Los Costaristas do literally yeah. track them by like how much of an impact did this moment make on society as a whole over the year oh as God. well. You know what I mean? Like you can, you, you can clock it when it happens and write it down in your like word doc or whatever. But as like it permeates the culture in general throughout the year be like oop this is sliding up a few few spots on my list now because like it's been referenced at these many awards <laughs> or whatever hold on i'm putting i'm already creating the notes out queer <laughs> moment of 2024 oh i'm already. so excited that's going to be man there's i am so this is an insane... Look at you producing next year's show already. Well, I was going to say, this is an insane thing to say, but I'm already so excited. Well, because next year is the fifth year, man. We've got to go all out for year five. But yeah. yeah, I mean, we finished year four and I was like, I am so ready for year five. I'm, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. But you know what I'm not ready for, Joe? The end of season two of the OC. So stay <laughs> tuned next week when we talk about the season finale of the OC season two.
Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 